What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. All right, so this is part two of a two-part series. I uh, titled the sermon, if you remember from last week, Where's My Piece of the Pie? So I thought that was good for where we are today, especially with the way that Americans think about their money, right? Which, of course, we're different, though. So remember last week what I said was that the sermon was really about setting the mind correctly. It's a, a mindset that we need to have about our finances. And really, what to summarize last week, what it all came down to was the fact that everything is God's and we are too. It's all God's anyway. And he chooses to entrust us with what he entrusts us with as far as our money and our resources. Before we get into this, I just wanted to tell a little story. It's a true story. It happened to me. When I had my own accounting practice uh, in New Jersey, it was, this was several years back, um, one of my clients was a missionary association, an international one. And uh, they did work in a number of different places. What their mantra was, or what they were really trying to do, was go places where people didn't want to go. So they were in some really tough places, really rough places. So I'm not going to mention the name of the country or anything, but I was in an Eastern European country uh, doing some uh, accounting work for this organization there. And uh, I went to the manager of that satellite office there, and I asked, is there any way I could see firsthand what's actually going on out there in the ministry? Because, you know, sometimes when you're doing the accounting work, you're kind of in a bubble. You're seeing all the numbers, everything that's happening, and you could start to question some things. You know, you look at it and you go, huh, I wonder if, why this is low, why, why, why wasn't this as high as last month or so, and to get the right perspective, because I want a ministry perspective, I wanted to go out and, and see one of these places. So they said, sure, there's a place that's not too far, actually, one of the closest ones. So we went out, and what it was was there was a missionary that was in the main village, this is a, one of the, in the largest village of the sector. They, they gave each missionary a sector. And so in this sector, he, he's, he was based in one village, and then there were smaller villages around it. So he was responsible for, for that area to reach them with the gospel. So we, we drive down there, and as we're getting closer, uh, of course, the roads become dirt roads and, uh, and pretty messed up roads, too. <laughs> I thought New Jersey roads were bad, but th- these, roads, these roads are really bad. So, so we're driving up to, sorry, I, so what I'm, I'm going to try not to be extra today. I know last week I was a bit extra. I'm going to try to be more calm today and, and talk more normal. Uh, that's, that's something that Pastor Chris always says. Actually, I don't know where he even come up with that name. I think he made that up. Uh, anyway, so we're driving up this dirt road to, this, uh, to this, uh, where this missionary was. And as we're driving up, I see two shipping containers stuck together. And they're heading towards that direction. So we get up there and we park in front of these shipping containers. And I'm looking around. I go, where's the building? And the manager goes, that's it. And I said, oh, I thought that was their storage. <laughs> I'm like, wow, they do ministry on that? And the manager said, well, not only ministry, that's where they live. 
So one site is for ministry, one site is where they live in. I mean, they only live in one shipping container. So it, it brings a whole new perspective to the tiny house thing, you know, that you see on TV. Anyway, I think that's kind of cool, a little tiny house. Anyway, so I'm like, wow, that's, that's crazy. So it's a husband and wife and two kids live in this 12-foot shipping container. So we walk in the, in the door, and they had, a, they had a couch and then like a love seat thing. And then behind that, they had a curtain where there was a bed that the husband and wife slept in. So the kids slept on the couches. They slept in the bed behind the little curtain. So we get in there, we sit down, and to my right, there's a counter. But it's plywood against the wall, uh, attached to the wall. And uh, if I went like this, I could touch it. I mean, that's how it was tiny in there. So I sit down, and I'm all prepared to talk about (laughs) structure and you know, and uh, the accounting and what's happening and all that kind of stuff, all the administrative and things that were important to me. I'm all set to talk about all this and where they are with technology and can we do better with maybe get them better resources, you know, some computers or whatever they need for the ministry because they didn't have computers out in the, in the satellite offices, right? So I'm all prepared to talk about this. As I start talking, though, I notice that the wife... Next to me at the counter, she pulls out from under the counter one of these single burners with the propane thing, you know, that you use for camping. Everybody know what I'm talking about? I really never saw one before because my idea of roughing it is black and white television set. Anyway, so she brings out this thing and she puts it on the counter and she starts making coffee. Coffee is a big thing there. So whenever you go, it's proper. They just automatically make you a cup of coffee, right, to be, to be polite. So she started to make coffee on this thing. So, so I stop, I, I, and it starts to dawn on me <laughs> that this is like real missionary work that's being done here. Like, it's like, wow, this is, this is like crazy. So I said to the guy, I said, you don't have a stove? And he goes, no. And I said, well, we can get you a stove. So what we, obviously what they would get is a, a small one, a little, a little stove. Over there, they cost about 80 to 100 bucks, right? That, that's it. It's 80 to 100 bucks for a stove. I'm like, we can get, we can get 100 bucks and tea and get you a stove. So he goes like this to me. He goes, you can get me a stove? And I said, yes, absolutely we can. And he goes, well, I've been after you guys for the longest time to increase my budget because I need money for children out here that are starving. Do you understand? I got children that, that they're, they're not eating right and they're not eating the meals they need to be eating. And I'm asking for money for that. So give me the $100 so I can help these kids. Do we think like that? I have a nice range at home with the, with the burners and a little warmer burner in the back, and you know what I'm saying? And, and, uh, and, I, and I have to have that. I have to have that, you know? And then I have the microwave that sits above it. I have to have that. It's, it's, it's funny we laugh, but think about it. There's a lot of things we think we have to have. Takes away from other things then. So let's go on. The question I have then is, 
Why do you want to prosper financially? Why do you want to prosper financially? What's it about? Remember from the last from last week, right? What it's what it's not about, right? It's not about you. What's it about? Like that pastor in that container. I don't know about you. I think I'd want a stove. <laughs> I think I would. I mean, just being real with you. I don't think I could be that sacrificial. I would have probably asked for the stove because I'd be thinking about my wife and my kids. Again, about me and my situation. I'd be thinking about my situation and what's best for my situation. But the question then becomes, what's your plan for accomplishing the will of God in your finances? What's your plan for that? Accomplish the will of God in... He knew what his plan was for accomplishing the will of God with finances he was given. He was clear on it. He was, he was very clear on it. So, and, and the requests did come. I saw the requests, the budget requests from, from them, right? And those budget requests was all about the ministry. It's all about the ministry. They made almost nothing financially. Obviously, if they're, if they're doing coffee on a burner, on a single burner, they couldn't go out and get a stove, you know, themselves. So last week when we, when we talked, we talked about mindset, right? This week I want to go a little bit more in detail with, with how we structure or plan or budget our finances. I think it's really clear that we have a step-by-step, -step, that we get a really clear understanding of it. Why? Because we want to make sure we make, we, we make, an, uh, we make a deliberate plan for our finances so things just don't kind of happen and so that we can look at it and say to our and say is it all about self or is it about God what's what's it about so being very deliberate and it's going to start with putting together a budget or a plan so Jeremy you could put it up there so stay here step by step to make it easier right because we talked in concepts last time here step by step number one Repentance for past spending, spending, spending. Wow, I'm doing that Pastor Chris thing now with the, wow. The spending that was not in God's will. So selfish spending, spending that we never consulted God on. We just wanted what we wanted. You know, I want that five burner range, not the four burner one, the five burner one, so I could have the warming burner in the back. Anyway, that was supposed to be funny. Thank you. There's some giggles out there. It's good. Second, we want to ask, notice the first two steps are all about prayer, all about prayer, all about prayer. Why? Because it's not about you. It's about what God wants out of you as his manager, right? We talked about it last week. We're managers. He owns it all. We're managers of it. So step two, ask God for his vision for your finances and his help in budgeting. Ask him. God, you know, I'm not really good at this budget thing. So I'm asking you right now, a power of your Holy Spirit to come upon me and, and formulate a budget, Lord God, that you help me put together and formulate. And then you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help me stick to, right? We're going to pray about it. Psalm 24, verse 1. 24, verse 1. This is one of the Psalms of David. I love David's Psalms because he's real, right? in his psalms. It says this, the earth is the Lord's 
and the fullness thereof, in other words, everything about it, right? The world and those who dwell therein, all of it, everything is God's. The third step we want to do, determine past spending habits. So now we want to look, and I know, <laughs> sometimes it can be ugly or embarrassing, right? But you got to do it. You got to look at where I've really been spending, right? And you got to deal with that. What do I mean by deal with that? Well, because I think, I mean, we've all done it. It's, again, I'm not, it's not about condemnation. It's about setting it right going forward, right? But we all, I think, we all can look back at finances and go, wow, I really spent that much this month on coffee? What? So, you know, you go to $7 Starbucks, do that, you know, 10 times, and it's, there's 70 bucks all of a sudden, right? So sometimes you'll be shocked at where some of the money goes. So you got to get an accounting for it. You got to go back and look at the finances. That's kind of easier to do today, like I mentioned last week, because we do everything with debit cards or whatever now, or credit cards. So we want to determine those past spending habits. Psalm 27, 23, and 26 to 27, it says this. Know well the condition of your flocks. Give attention to your herds. The lambs will provide your clothing, the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household. Give attention to your herds. Well, I don't know about you. I don't have herds. Unless you're a farmer. Or is any farmers? Then maybe you have herds. But you know what it's getting at. Know the condition of your resources, what you have available to you. So now I understand. Again, I got a good understanding of how I'm spending my money. So now I can start to think about how I should be spending it. But, but wait, wait. Before that step, the first thing I need to do is put money away in savings. Go to the next slide. So the next step is to save an emergency fund and to put 1500 bucks in there, right? That's before anything else, before you do any savings for... Uh, for uh, uh, retirement or before you pay off debt, even before you pay off debt, even before that, right? The first thing you want to do in your budget is to make sure there's money that's set aside so that you can put 1500 bucks away as quickly as you can in an emergency fund. Why? Because emergencies will happen. They're going to happen. So if you don't do that, what's going to happen if an emergency comes up? It's the credit card, baby! Yeah! <laughs> Whip that thing. Oh, we get fast at that, right? We're quick at whipping that thing out. Charge that baby and I'm good. Yeah, we'll worry about it later. So emergency funds, so you don't have to do that. You can write the check. Oh, they don't write checks anymore, right? Do we write checks anymore? Does anybody write checks anymore? Oh, yes. Person after my own heart. Nice. like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm old school. What can I say? All right. So then after that, after we have the 1500 saved, now we're, we're okay if emergency comes up and takes us off track. The next thing is to pay off debt. We want to pay off debt. We want to pay off debt. That's, a, that's like a weird concept in American culture, right? Because everybody to these days lives on debt, it seems. Not everybody. But most people, 
I want to be debt free. Why? Because Pastor Chris said it. It's in Proverbs 22, 7. The borrower is the slave of the lender. The slave of the lender. It puts you into slavery. With the why? Because it's a vicious cycle. Debt's a vicious cycle. I don't know if you've noticed that, right? Once you've amassed debt, it's really, really hard to get out of that debt. And there's a reason for that. It's because there's huge interest that's being charged. Yeah, so anyway, so you become the slave to that debt. Then you want to save three months' worth of income in that emergency fund. So you want to build that emergency fund up to three months' worth of your income. So now you have a good solid savings. After that, you want to build long-term savings, uh, including retirement after that. So those are the steps that we need to consider when we're putting together our budget. So what does this mean? What this means then is when we create our budget, we're going to have to make some sacrifices, right? Because most people can't do this with the way they're spending their money. Most people can't. So what that means is you have to change the way you're spending your money. That's why one of the first things we did was we looked at how we're spending it first so we can see what we need to change, you know? Oh, geez, no, I don't need Starbucks every day. Okay, that's got to end. So as a matter of fact, I don't need to get Starbucks at all. So, you know, what I did for, what I did for myself, which, uh, you know, to this day I still do, is I got the little Keurig. And I get the pods. Well, I used to, now I get the pods. I used to do the, the, the plastic thing that you fill with coffee. Because then it was only like a few cents a cup to do it that way and make my coffee. Uh, it's too much of a hassle. So now I get, Costco has like the big, oh, I shouldn't mention names of things because we're being recorded. There's, warehouse store has the, <laughs> is it too late? It's too late now, right? It's too late. No, he can cut it. There's, there's a warehouse store. Like, nobody knows what we're talking about, right? There's a, there's a, like a country in Eastern Europe, right? Anyway, there's a warehouse store that sells like 120 bucks, and it costs like 30 cents a pod then. So it's like 30 cents a cup. And I get the convenience of the pod. You just boop, boop, push the button, and hey, you got coffee. And it's good stuff, actually. It's organic, believe it or not, and sustainable. Anyway. So that, that was free marketing for the warehouse store. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we have to sacrifice. We don't like that word. We don't like that word. But it has to get in your vocabulary. Why? Because you're going to have to have some sacrifice. You're going to have to. You're going to have to. And I don't care if you say, well, Al, but, you know, I'm like a retirement agent. I saved up a good amount of money, so I'm good. Are you really? How are you spending that money and resources? Are you good because it's all about you? Because you got to go on that trip last month, you got to spend it for this, these dinners. You t- so you're looking at all your expenses and you're, you're doing all this spending and all of a sudden you take a step back and you go, wow, God, God, help me, Lord. Speak to me. Tell me what you want to do. And then God says something like, well, what about Ethan and Jackie? And you go, oh, well, but Lord, you know, I planned that uh, vacation trip next week. So I, I, that's already planned, you know. And God goes, yeah, but you're, you, you, 
He did a trip a week ago. You understand what I'm getting at? So I don't care if you have money and you go and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I hear what Al is saying, but I'm good. Or if you don't, it doesn't matter. Sacrifice is going to be a part of your life in God. It is. Why? Because God's purpose on this earth is different than what your natural purpose is in the natural, right? In the natural, you want it comfortable and good and enjoy, right? Right? You want to be able to put that air conditioning down to 75. Who does that? 75. I think I keep mine to 76. People put down to 75 or 74 and I start to freeze. Now, maybe I'm old. I don't know. Maybe that's an old age thing. I don't know. But so with sacrifice, what it comes down to is giving up something good now. We're not talking about things that are bad, right? Obviously, you're not going to spend money on something that you hate. We're talking about things that are good, that are enjoyable or whatever. Sometimes what we need to do is give up something good now for what is best later. Something good now for what is best later. All right, enough of that because I'm, I'm going too long with that. So let's move on. So after we've considered all this, we've considered this, that's what we need to make sure we make sacrifice of budget so we can do this. We've considered our past spending. Now we formulate the actual budget. So now we go to the budget and actually create our budget of what we're going to spend for what each month that the money comes in to our account, however it comes in, wages, whatever, right? So we get our list, and the very first line on the list, the very first item we budget for is tithes and offerings. First. Why? Because the Bible says that. You give out of the first fruits. You give out of your best, not what's left over. God doesn't want your leftovers. He wants the prime rib. He wants the best of what you have. Because he owns it all anyway. <laughs> it's all his anyway. So we start with the best. We start with the tithe and offering first. Then we budget the other expenses that we need to budget. Malachi 3 Verses 8 to 10. Malachi is the, this is the, uh, chapter 3 is the chapter where um, Malachi is really kind of getting down on the Israelites for um, not doing what they're supposed to be doing, not following God's statutes, right? So that's kind of the, the idea of the chapter. So chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, you could take that off, Jeremy, I'm sorry. So chapter 3, verses 8 to 10 says this, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Oh, so if you notice, I mentioned the scripture a couple of times because it always drives me crazy when Pastor Chris mentions it once and then goes to it and I go, what did he say? That was chapter three. What verses was that? So that's why I do it a couple of times. <laughs> anyway, you're welcome. Will man, <laughs> will, man, <laughs> will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Strong language there. You're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. Says it another time. He's driving the point home here. The whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Tithe for the necessities, right? So we can... Turn on the air, which 
are having an issue with uh, today. So if anybody wants to give to the air conditioning system, anyway, moving right along. <laughs> That's what this is really all about, is to give to the air conditioning system. No. No, I'm kidding. I'm, ki I'm kidding. No emails, please. I'm kidding. <laughs> that there may f be food in your house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God doesn't want you to be in need. Doesn't want you to be in need. But, but we take the first step. We take the first step. It's not about going to God and go, oh God, when God gives me a million bucks, then I will. No. <laughs> you do it now. And then God opens the windows of heaven and blesses. It, it comes after. By the way, people say, well, that was the Old Testament with the tithing and all that and contributions. But Christ reaffirms it in Matthew 23, 23. That was an easy one to remember. He reaffirms it to the Pharisees and scribes. I'm going to want to go back to Matthew 3, or Malachi. Matthew, hello, okay. I messed this up in the beginning service with the rich young ruler thing. Anyway, I won't go there again. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's go back to Malachi 3, 8 to 10. Why? Because in verse 8, we go through that chapter or, and we think about it in terms of tithing. That's what we think about it. But notice what, the, what it says in verse 8. Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Interesting, huh? In your tithes and contributions. He separates the two. Why? Because the tithe is a no-brainer. It's what has to be done. And that keeps the lights on, the air conditioning, hopefully running, and things like that, right? But then there's the contributions. That's above the tithe. Above the tithe. So people, we need to see past the tithe. I mean, people are having a struggle with the tithe, with the concept of giving a tithe. Right? So we need to get beyond that. And uh, uh, it's, it's gets, it goes beyond that. And why is that? Because that's where sacrifice begins. That's where sacrifice begins. If, a con if contributions are insignificant to you, then they are going to be insignificant to God. Right? If they're totally insignificant to you, they're insignificant to the Lord. So, and, and we're not talking about a, a certain dollar amount. It's not about giving certain amounts of money, right? I, it drives me crazy when there's different nonprofit organizations, whatever, that will really laud those that give tons of money. They'll make a big deal of it. Yeah, this person gave us $10,000. Yeah, nice. That was awesome. He gave us 10 grand. What you don't know is he's a multimillionaire, and he could have easily written a check for 100 grand and never missed it. So where's the sacrifice? It wasn't a sacrifice to him. It was pretty insignificant. So it's not about the money. It's about, so it's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not equal giving, equal sacrifice. It's not about what you have or don't have. It's not about what you have or even don't have. It's about what you do with what you have, right? Luke 21, verses 1 to 4. Luke 21, 1 to 4. This is that scripture about the widow's might. Uh, that's, old test, that's Old English, I guess. That's King James, widow's might. Yeah. The new versions don't say widow's might anymore. Sorry. That's like an old-fashioned term. But I'm an older guy. 
I can use old-fashioned terms. You have to forgive me anyway because I'm your brother. It says this, James, uh, Luke 21, 1 to 4. See, I said it again in case you missed it. You're welcome. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. For all intents and purposes, it's like two pennies or whatever, right? Although they're not made of total copper anymore, right? Aren't they mostly tin with like a copper coat? They kind of make us think they're copper pennies. I don't know. Kind of weird, but whatever. And he said, truly, I tell you, this, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. It's not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. For they all contribute out of their abundance, right? It was insignificant. You know, I have $100 million in the bank. Ten grand is, it's chump change. I spend ten grand at the golf course for breakfast, you know. It's, it's chump change for me. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live, all she had to live on. Here's an interesting thought that most people don't really uh, think about when they think about the scripture, right? Christ thought that was good. Think about that. The widow, all she, she gave, all she had was the two copper coins, right? The problem with American culture, we get into this idea that, you know, God wouldn't call us to give everything or to, because he, want, he wants us to be smart with our money. He wants us to, to you know, to, to manage it well. You know, of course that's true. What I just said is true. He does want us to manage it well. He does want us to be smart with what he does. We just talked about that. He wants us to have a plan, a budget, and all that. The problem is, the problem is like with a lot of Scripture, we pick and choose what works for us in Scripture, Right? So that works great, but don't tell me to give all I have. Or don't tell me to give to sacrifice. Well, let's not go there. Let's just talk about how God wants to bless me. Let's talk about that, right? She gave all she had to live on, and Christ praised that. He didn't say, you know, actually what she should have done was make sure she kept one of those pennies because how is she going to pay for groceries? Come on. You know, she should have been a little smarter with this money. He didn't say that. He did not say that here. So it's a balance, people. It's a balance. Sometimes he calls us to sacrifice, and sometimes he really blesses. It's a balance. What's the difference? Is it in his will and plan and purpose for you? Is it in that will and plan and purpose for you? Then that's what happens, and that's what occurs in your life. And that, and that will bring you satisfaction and peace. It will. That's what brings you satisfaction and peace because you're doing exactly what God intended for his money and resources that are in your hands. So here's the question. Does our money or lack of it, doesn't matter, whether you're a widow with the two coins or, or you have a lot, right? Does our money or our lack of it draw us closer to God or push us from God? Are we complaining at God all the time? Or is it pushing us close to God and we're really trying to figure out what he's trying to do with me and my resources and my life? It's a hard thing. It is. Of course it is. So it's not about just about planning, although planning and budgeting is important. It's about also 
um, and trusting God that he's going to do what's right and best with, that, with those resources. It's entrusting God that he's going to do what's right and best with those resources that I have. So it's both. Yes, I'm going to plan on a budget, but I'm going to be attentive to what God is doing and how he's moving and what I need to do with finances that I have. So, I mean, like, for example, let's say that I have this whole plan and budget figured out and I have uh, good savings, you know, that I put aside, whatever, and, and I'm just about at three months' worth of income. And Al said, I have to have three months' worth of income saved. And then Ethan and Jackie come along, and you know the Lord presses upon your heart. Give them a couple grand. But Al said... I have to have three months' worth of income saved in a savings account. I'm not there yet. You understand what I'm trying to say? The planning and the budgeting are important, but they never, ever supersede God's purposes and plans for our life. There's a balance. So it's not one or the other. It's both. And the reason why I'm saying that is because we're going to go in scriptures that are going to say things like, don't worry about, you know, what, how, what clothes you're going to have, why you're going to eat a... So then that seems to fly in the face of what I just said. you got to plan a budget. And all of a sudden God's saying, well, don't worry. It's both. Because God wants us not to rely or focus on or have anxiety about the finances. God is like, no, I've got that. I got that. Don't worry about it. I got that. That was, by the way, what I was just talking about was Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. So Matthew 6, 25 to 34 is where it talks about, you know, close the lilies of the field and all that. He takes care, right? He takes care. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. But Al, you just said that we, we, need, we need to plan and budget. So what is this about? Exactly what I just said just a little while ago. It's about sometimes God's going to do something that may not be exactly what you purposed and planned because God has a direction he's going and he's going to reach out to you to sacrifice for that and he's going to say, don't worry about that. Well, I haven't, I haven't built my emergency fund, my 1500 yet. Don't, don't worry about that. I need you to do this now. I need you to do this first and then go back and, and finish that. It's both. It's both. That's why he says, look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, yet he feeds them. He'll take care of you. If you take care of God's resources, he takes care of you. If you take care of his resources, then he takes care of you. If you just want to do it yourself and, and, or, you know, and make money first and money about, and you have that anxiety and you want to control that, well, then you're going to miss out on the blessings. You're going to. You're going to have that credit card debt. You're going, to have, you're going to have issues. There was a speaker one time I went to. A, um, it was a, something similar to this. It was a finance thing. And the speaker, uh, one of the things that he said was, so what we need to do is we need to get ourselves out of the way and do it God's way. Why? Because our way is a mess and God's way will be the best. Right. And then he said this, which I liked. He said, God will not bless a mess. Amen. He will not bless a mess, which I liked that. That was good. 
spoke to my heart. Because at that time, you know, it's funny, when I was real young, I say real young, in my 20s, to you, some of you it might not seem real young. To me, that's real young. That's like a kid to me. Anyway, when I was younger, you know, I went through uh, school, and school doesn't teach any of this stuff. And, and the one thing that, that they always taught us when I went through the accounting curriculum was, man, was manageable debt. It's like you have manageable debt in your life. And that's how you, um, you know, can have the things that you want to have, you know, and all that, as long as it's manageable and you can make those payments. And uh, so that speaker that I went to shook me up on all that. He's like, no, it doesn't work like that. Okay, cool. Whatever. All right. First Peter 5, 6 to 10. Another scripture that's really good about this. First Peter 5, 6 to 10. Oh, I'm not doing good with time, am I? First Peter 5, 6 to 10. I'm preaching myself happy here. It's great. Anyway, um, uh, so I'm not going to read this whole scripture for sake of time, but you can read it on your own. I just want to point out one portion of it, just the, the first two verses. It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Right? It's not about you, but God will bless. It's not about you, but God will bless. Why? Because he blesses those that are caring for his resources, right? We talked about that in the first service with the corporation and the guy, the manager, right? So think about logic. Logically, if you're managing my money well, I'm going to entrust you with it. If you're not, then I'm not going to entrust you with it. It's just some common sense there, right? And then it says this, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Don't get anxiety about all this. Don't get anxious about all this. Leave it in God's hands. And it's bathed in prayer. God, you do this. You do this. You show me and you do this. Because it's all yours and I want it to be done the best for you. You know? Holy cow. All right. So, um, yeah. Luke 12, 16 to 21 talks a little bit about the selfishness thing, right? Luke 12, 16 to 21. This is the parable of the rich man who uh, his, he just had like an abundant crop and he decided to tear down the barns and build bigger barns so he could have more stuff. We don't have barns, right? Unless we're a farmer. We don't have the silos where we're putting extra crops in. But a lot of us do the same thing. We do the same thing. Why? Because we make it about us. It's not about you. All right. You can tell what's important to you by what you spend your time and money on, period. I could look at your spending, I could tell what's important to you just by looking at your spending. And also, I could tell what dominates your thoughts and your conversations. So what you need to do is look back on all you've done with your finances and ask this question. When I look back at all of my spending habits, is it all about me? Was it about me? Where, where was sacrifice and where was God in my spending that I've done in the past? And then repent of that. Why? It's not about condemnation. We correct. We correct and we move forward with God. So we repent of it, we move forward with God. 
John 3.27 says this. That's John 3. John 3.27. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So people say, well, I'm a self-made millionaire. I did it myself. I did it on my own. No, you didn't. Who gave you the talents and abilities? Who gave you that, that mind that you had? Who gave you the health that you had? I mean, there are people that are bedridden. That, you know, think about that. You have good health. You have a sharp mind. You're, you were made for accomplishing the things that you've accomplished. It wasn't about you at all. God gave you that ability and that talent. So no, there's no such thing as self-made. You're not self-made. Why? Because John 3.27 you can't receive even one thing. So he makes it pretty strong there. Even one thing can't receive unless it's given from heaven. It's about the motives of our heart. It's what, what's in our heart that motivates us. What's deep inside there? Is it a real concern for God and his will and plans and purpose? And is it the bigger vision, what God is doing in the world that I'm a part of? Is that what my heart is all about? I don't know. You need to ask yourself that. Our prayer needs to be, God, what do you want your money to be spent on today? What do you want it to be spent on today? So you get the right mindset. So make it a habit. Every time you're going to buy something, so God, I think this is a good idea. What do you think? Make it a habit that you're always constantly bringing things to God. Now you're going to go, that's kind of ridiculous. You did it with everything. Well, no, no, you don't have to do it with, with everything. But sometimes you need to do things that create the mindset, that make it real to you. So sometimes you need to do that. God, I'm going to get this. It just seems like a good idea or a good purchase. How many times have you done that in the past month? I will say that probably the majority of us have almost never done that. Start doing that because then it sets that mind things on God, right? It sets that mindset to God. God, what do you want me to spend it on? So what I told, it's funny, one time there was, it had nothing to do with finances, but one time I was uh, mentoring a gentleman who was a new Christian. And uh, he said, I just find it hard to be, like alone time with God. I wind up falling asleep. I just, frankly, get bored reading the Bible and stuff. And I don't know. I, it's just hard for me. And I said, that's because God's not real to you. He hasn't become real. Like he's there, he's present. If Christ walked in the door right now, how would that change things for you? Oh, wow, that would be incredible. To be able to sit down with Christ himself and, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay, well, he's there. He is there. He's always there. So what I told them to do was, every time you sit down for dinner, set an extra plate for Christ. Put out, actually put out a plate, put out a fork, spoon, and a glass for Jesus Christ himself. And then pray. And look at that chair as you pray. He came back to me sometime later and was like, that was awesome. It was like he was in the room. It was awesome. Why? Because it made it tangible and real. So sometimes you just need to do things to bring it to our forefront of our mind, right? A good example of the combination of the both, God's will plans and, and, and planning and budgeting, is Nehemiah chapter 2. So I encourage you to read the chapter. We don't have time to do the chapter. Oh, boy, don't we have time. We don't have time to do the 
You may have to skip a song on him. Anyway, so <laughs> I hate to do that to her. Anyway, so uh, what was I saying? I lost my train of thought now. Nehemiah 2, right. Sorry, I'm older. You can excuse me for that. You have to because I'm your brother anyway. Anyway, so Nehemiah chapter, read the chapter. It's a good chapter uh, about all this. But I want to I read a portion of it. Nehemiah 2, 5 to 8. So Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Uh, it says this. So this is Nehemiah talking, right? He's talking to, sorry, let me set it up. So he's talking to the king. Why? Because he's got the plan from God to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the walls and everything. So he's got that plan from God. Think, listen to what I just said. It's the plan and purpose of God, right, that he got. Then what he did was he, he planned it out. He actually planned it all out. How do we know he planned it all out? Listen to what, he, what happens here. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you may send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Figured it out. God gave it to me, but I did the planning of it. So I figured that out. So I was able to answer him. I gave him the time. Uh, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. Oh, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. He had it all figured out. He had it all planned out. He planned it out right? But it, it wasn't his thing to do. It was God's will and plan that he got, and then he created the plan to meet that. You understand? See how that goes together, right? It's not one or the other. It's both comes together, right? I love, and the king granted it, of course, and Jerusalem was rebuilt. I hate when they never end the story. That's the end of the story. <laughs> it worked out. But I love... We kind of glance over this because I have in the past too. And this like jumped out of me when I was studying for doing this sermon. Believe it or not, I never really noticed this before. God even took care of Nehemiah and his family in there. Did you notice it? He even provided for him and his family. It says this. This is verse 8 at the end of the verse. After he says, uh, give me the letters to get the timber, etc. And he says, for the temple the timber for the walls of the city, and for the house I shall occupy. And for my house. So I'll have a house for my family. God does bless us. So I said, it's not about us, but you know what? God loves you, and he does want to bless. He absolutely does. He's going to give you good things. It's not about just sacrifice. It's not about just sacrifice. You will have good things. God will bless. But he's not going to bless a mess. And he's not going to bless those that are not managing his finances the way he wants them managed. That's where the blessings are not going to go. If, people, if we don't put God first, then we absolutely will have something else there. 
Something else is going to be there. I know we've heard it the other way around. We've heard, you know, preachers say, you know, we've got to make sure we put God first in our lives. But I like to turn that around a little bit and do the negative side. If we don't do that, something else is going to be there. And it's not going to work out well. <laughs> not going to work out well. It's not going to give you the peace and joy that you need for your life. How do I know that? We know that. I mean, we all know the stories about the millionaires that commit suicide, right? They have everything. They have the private jet. They have, you know, uh, and, and you hear time and time again of them committing suicide. There's no peace. There's no joy. There's no satisfaction in that. Why? It's not about the money. It's not about the money. It's about putting God first and what God's will and purposes are. That's what it's about. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 22. This is the story of the, um, uh, this is the story of the rich young ruler who came to Christ. So he was, a good, uh, he was a good Jew, followed the law, right? Loved God, right? So he was, a good, he was, he was good, a good guy, right? So he comes to Jesus, and uh, well, let me read it. It says this, Matthew 19, 16 to 22. You're welcome. <laughs> it says, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would, if you would, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? <laughs> I can imagine. I, I want to take a little liberty here. I think at this point, again, I don't know for sure, but I think at this point Jesus went, are you kidding me? Really, man? You're, you're a Jew. You study the law. You're, you, know, you know the law. So he goes, uh, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not fall, bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like he's, like he's basically saying, what are you, what are you not getting here? <laughs> right? You know this stuff. And he says this. The young man said to him, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had, he had great possessions. Why did Christ ask him to do that? Money was first, not God. He loved God. He gave it lip service, but his stuff was first. Stuff took first priority. And God's like, that's not going to work for me. That, that doesn't work for God. It doesn't. So there are people that he will ask them to just give up everything. Why? Because they simply can't handle it. And put God first. Like this young man. Couldn't do it. So then you need to just give up everything. Follow me. Follow me. Come into the ministry with me. Let's, let's go together. Right? That would actually think would be kind of awesome anyway. Right? to be called of Christ to come with him anyway. But that's exactly what God does with us all. Does that with all of us. Follow me. Follow me. I'll give you the resources and the funds and whatever is necessary to do what I've called you to do if you follow me. Don't worry about it. Luke 16, verse 13. 
Luke 16, verse 13. This Luke 16 is the chapter that talks about if you're faithful in little, then you'll be faithful in much. It's a great chapter to read about all this. Again, we don't have the time to... Oh, boy, we have time. Uh, <laughs> so this is, the, this is the chapter 16, verse 13 says this. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. You can't. Well, you say, well, Al, of course not. Well, I know that. I don't serve money. I love God and I, ser- I serve God. And, and I mean, you know, I'm God's and God is, you know, in my life. Well, it was for the young, rich ruler too. It was for him too. It's not about you. So what if it was you? What if Christ walked up to you and you said, Oh, Jesus Christ, it's so great to see you. I accepted you as my Lord and Savior when I was six years old. I followed you. I've been faithful to you. And, and he says to you, all right, well, what I need you to do is uh, everything that you've saved and your house and everything, you need to sell everything, give it to the poor, and I got a, a mission work I need you to do for me. Could you do it? Don't answer that quick. We want to think we can. We want to believe we can. But could you? If you can't, then that is first. If you can't, then that's first in your life. Got to come to a place where you can. And that puts God first in our life, right? It's because we need to fully understand our standing. We don't get our standing. We're, we're joint heirs with Christ, right? First Peter 2, 9 to 11. First Peter 2, 9 to 11, talks about our standing, right? You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you didn't have mercy, now you have received mercy. I urge you, I urge you, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. That's the problem. That's why millionaires commit suicide. There's a war against their soul because it's all about passions of of their flesh or their desires or their wants, right? It causes that war, that battle with your soul. You're not satisfied and you're not at peace in in that instance. What is God's purpose for your life here? Why are you here? What's his vision for your time and resources? We don't, spend, we don't spend our money on a vision. We get the vision and spend according to that. So we don't spend to a vision. We get a vision and then we make our spending conform to that, right? What is God's purpose? What drives your spending? God made you. He made you, right? He wants to fulfill his purpose in your life, right? What an awesome thing. Think about the honor of that. He chose to do it through you guys, right? He chose that. That's how much he loves you and he cares for you. And that's how he sees you. He sees you as a royal priesthood, a priesthood of God on this earth that has all of the resources and backing of Christ who owns everything, 
get that mind straight on this. Get it straight. It takes complete faith and trust in Him. We've got to come to the place where we trust Him enough that if He said to me, hey, give away everything and do this, I would instantly go, absolutely, Lord, why? Because I know you got my back. I know you got my back. I know I'll be fine. Why? Because it's not about that first. It's about you first. It's all about you first. The alternative is your soul at war with your flesh. That's the alternative. The alternative is no peace, no real satisfaction. Everything you get, there's something better, something more, something else, something. Even if, uh, even if you're a hoarder, right, you never have enough. It's always, I need more money, more money, more money. I need to save more, save more, save more. It's, it's, there's no peace in that. We need the peace and the satisfaction that comes through a life lived for Christ in every way. God first, always. It's not about you. Give us peace, God. Give us peace. All right, I'm way over. Sorry. Let's pray. So if I could have the worship team and, uh, and the prayer counselors also can come up front. Dear Lord God, it's, it's a hard word. It really is, especially in this American culture. Oh, you know what we're bombarded with all the time, and we're told so much about what we were supposed to be doing with our finances and how we're supposed to be spending our money and, and how debt is just a way of life, and we're just bombarded with these messages. But we know, Lord God, that it can't be about any of that. It can't be. Lord, it has to be just about you in our lives. Lord God, help us to come to the place where you are truly first. You're first. You're first. Nothing else takes that place in our lives. Help us to come to that place in our lives, Lord. Help us, Lord. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief and get us to that point. And then that's when we know we'll have the real peace, joy, and satisfaction that we all crave for our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.